Welcome to the Grove Church Podcast and thegrovekc.com. Our mission as a church is to encourage people to discover true treasure in Jesus Christ. We hope you find today's teaching helpful and encouraging. Thanks for joining us. Well, hey, today we are finishing up our Christmas Timeline series. And as we think about Christmas, I want us to think a little bit about summer, right? specifically swimming in summer. That was one of my favorite activities growing up. I spent hours upon hours at the the neighborhood pool um, getting to swim. And so one of the things that I liked least about summer, one of the things I most didn't like about summer was adult swim. I'd go to the pool and we'd be there and me and my friends were having a great time and every about 50 or 55 minutes the lifeguards would blow that whistle and they'd tell us that all the kids had to get out for 10 minutes. And I remember one particular time, for whatever reason this stands out in my mind, I remember one particular time thinking, this is the longest 10 minutes of my life, right? Just being so overwhelmed with the waiting for that adult swim period to be over so that I could get back in the pool and have fun with my friends. Um, And and you think about why did adult swim even need to exist? I mean, that was really my question. I I remember thinking, why are we even doing this? What's the point? And in many ways, it felt like some kind of, uh, you know, not just an imposition on me, but it felt like this persecution that us kids were being treated so unfairly to have to get out of the pool for that 10 minutes. But As an adult now, I can understand the appeal of Adult Swim. And I can think through, right, and you can think along with me why that time was was good, right? What were the purposes of that time? Well, a a couple of them. One was that the time was meant to give others an opportunity to enjoy the pool. You think about of the hour, about 50 50 minutes of that hour was spent allowing the kids to do just about anything they wanted. And the adults were limited by the freedom that the kids had. So for that 10 minutes, the idea was limit the freedom of the kids and allow the the adults a little extra time to enjoy the pool, swim laps, or just have some downtime with the, the frenzy of kids in the pool, not such a big distraction. But there was another reason, and and oftentimes the reason they needed to do that that 10-minute break wasn't necessarily adult swim. It was more because there was some kind of uh, aspect of taking care of the pool that needed to take place during that 10 minutes. And and the reason that that pool, uh, that chore in the pool needed to be taken care of was to make it more enjoyable in the long run, right? There, there were really good reasons for that 10-minute adult swim, that 10 minutes that made my life so miserable and seemed so long for uh, so many times as a kid growing up. And, and it really raises this question. You begin to think about the times that you have to wait in, in life, even as an adult, the times where the, the things that uh, you want to have happen don't happen when you would hope that they would happen. And it raises a question of of this. Can love that makes us wait, can can the kind of love that that involves doing what's good for us, that that kind of love, if it makes us wait, if it doesn't show up when we think we most need it or most want it, can that love still be considered love? And that's what we want to see today as we finish off our look at the Christmas story. We're going to turn back to Luke chapter 2, And we're going to look at the timing of love. That's our point today, is the timing of love. So let's turn in Luke chapter 2, verse 21. 
It says, when the eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus. This is the baby that we'd seen has been born, right? We know who we're talking about here. The name given by the angel before he was conceived. And when the days of their purification, according to the law of Moses, were finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Just as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And what we see here as we begin to look at this story, we're going to continue on, but I want us to stop here. I want us to realize in part in answer to that question I raised about the kind of love that makes us wait, what we realize What we'll see in the Christmas story is that Christmas reminds us of the loving wisdom of God's timeline. The loving wisdom of God's timeline. There's there's a timeline involved in what we just read there in those first parts of Luke 21 to 24. You see the timeline of of the the period between Jesus' birth and his naming, him being named Jesus, just as Mary and Joseph were told he should be named. There's this eight-day period. When he was then circumcised and and he was given his name. And then there was this 40-day period of purification. In the wake of uh, Mary giving birth, they needed to wait 40 days for this purification before they could then come and dedicate their firstborn son uh, to the Lord in keeping with tradition. And so there was this timeline that God had created for his people in terms of how they were to respond to the birth of a new child, specifically the birth of a firstborn son. And that's the timeline that Mary and Joseph and Jesus are operating on here. And we see then, as we're going to look and continue on and see what happens in the temple, we get this sense and we get this understanding, a reminder, that God's timeline uh, is loving, that, that he intends really good things for us. But that love doesn't always show up in the way and at the time that we most want it. And that's where we need to understand that it is loving wisdom, that God really does know best in terms of the time of how things go down. We're told this in 1 John 4, 9 through 11, that God's love was revealed among us in this way. And God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him goes on and we're told love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. This is an explanation of the loving wisdom of God's timeline, that that when God revealed his love in the time when he did that, when he sent his one and only son, his firstborn son, into the world, that that timing was an example. It was the example, the the end-all, be-all of his love. And and that timing is perfectly wise. God was wise in doing that when he did it. But again, as we're going to see in the lives of uh, of three different people, they may not have seen that timing as, as loving at some point. There may have been a point where they thought, why is this not taking place 
in a different time, in a, in a better time? Why did I have to wait so long? Why is this, is this required, this period of waiting required? They were like me at the pool wondering, why does this have to go on? But what we'll see again is that God's wisdom, His loving wisdom, uh, it shows up in the timing of how he does stuff. And so we need to understand God's wisdom is always loving. I want us to see these three examples of waiting. Three examples of God's loving wisdom showing up in the lives of different people. Let's hear about these three people in Luke chapter 2, verse 25 to 38. It says there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. And guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law. And Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace, as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and glory to your people Israel. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed, and a sword will pierce your own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. There was also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and, she, and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple, serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So again, here we meet three people. One we've, we've met before, Mary. And, and obviously, Joseph and Jesus are in the background as well here, but we're going to focus on Mary. And then we meet a man, Simeon, and another woman, Anna. And in their tales of waiting, we want to see the, the truth about the loving wisdom of God's timeline. So here, here's the first thing. Let's look at Mary, because really Mary sets up in the center of this whole account. And she's at the center, and Simeon and Anna, their experiences are sort of rotating around her and, and the experience of the, the Christ family uh, here in this passage. And so first thing we understand as we look at the life of Mary is that in his timing, God will do what is needed. Okay? In his timing, God does what is needed. I want you to, to notice here the, the words that come to Mary through Simeon, that Jesus was destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel. The fall and rise of many in Israel. What's happening all throughout this speech, all throughout Simeon's words, he's, he's quoting or referencing uh, things that we would find in the prophet Isaiah. And, and here specifically, he's saying something that harkens back to Isaiah 8.14. I'm not going to, it's not going to be up on the screens, but just you can look at it for yourself. But in Isaiah 8.14, there's something described as a stone of stumbling. It, it's really a reference to the Messiah, that he would be a stone of stumbling. And so what Simeon is saying to Mary and what he's saying for all of us, and this is something that, that is said elsewhere throughout the New Testament, is that when it comes to Jesus, 
like a, a stone, uh, it will either trip you up or it will provide a step up. Okay? That, that's really, when we think about Jesus, okay, he, he doesn't leave there, us any other option. He, he will either trip you up or he will provide you a step up. And, and when we turn to Christ, he's providing us a step up, a step up into the life of God, into his family. But when we want to hold on to our own ideas of how to do life, how to go about making our way in this world, Jesus will trip us up because he's not left us this wiggle room to say, yeah, I'm going to kind of do it my own way. And, and Jesus, it's nice. I like you. You're, you're good and all, but I don't really need you. Jesus doesn't leave us that wiggle room. He is this stumbling stone. He will cause the fall and rise of many in Israel, but not just in Israel, all throughout the world. He'll either trip you up or he'll provide a step up. And, and, and as Simeon speaks to Mary, notice what he says to her specifically. He's, he's talking about in general. But then he says to her specifically that uh, her own soul will be pierced by a sword. And, and what we can understand is what she, he probably means here is he's referring to two things. One, that, that Mary herself is going to endure the sorrow that will come with Jesus' death, okay? And, and, and this is really why I, I want us to understand that in his timing, God will do what is needed. Uh, what Mary was hearing here, whether she fully understood it or not, was that she was about to enter a time of waiting, a, a time of amazing waiting. She was going to see her son grow into th this man who would completely defy what we understood in terms of what a human was supposed to be because he was fully human. He was everything a human should be. But she would be in this period of waiting and getting to see him grow and develop, grow in, as it says at the end of this chapter, wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. But she's also in this, the, the time is ticking down, the, the clock has started, where Jesus is going to die. This, this new baby, this 48-day or 40-day-old baby is going to somehow, someday, die. That's what's going to be needed for redemption. It, it, that's what's going to, to have to take place. And, and Mary's being told, she's being warned, a day is coming when a sword will pierce your own soul. You're going to grieve. Again, whether she understood fully, I don't think she did. But that's the thing that's being presented to her, is that she'd be in this waiting period because the day was coming when Jesus would be crucified. And, and that's the one sense in which she would have a sword pierce her own soul. The other sense was she as a Christ follower herself, right? The, this mother who would someday recognize that her son was not just her son. He, he was the son. He was the son of God, God himself. That in the wake of that, as a Christ follower, she would endure the suffering that comes as we follow Christ. That, that there is just, we as Christ followers endure the waiting that comes with trying to follow the Lord and yet also enduring a world in which God's will is not done perfectly. And, and so we're called as, as people, just as humans, to respond to this, this baby who becomes a man and, and is that potential stumbling stone. And, and we have to ask ourselves, do I recognize what is needed? Do I recognize that the cross was needed. 1 Timothy 1.15, we're told this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Right? 
And what was it going to take for those sinners to be saved? The sinners like you and me? It was going to take Jesus' death. That sword would pierce Mary's soul. When those nails would pierce Jesus' hands and that spear would pierce his side, yes, her soul would be pierced. But as she recognized him as the Messiah, the one who had came, come into the world to save sinners, even like Mary, who needed the grace of God, just like anybody else. The recognition would be that God would do what was needed. Now, she was going to have to endure something that she wouldn't have wanted. But again, in hindsight, like we said a few weeks ago, in hindsight, she wouldn't trade for anything. She got to be the mother of the Savior of the world. And so we have to recognize that in his timing, God will do what is needed, even crucifixion. His ways are different. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. My thoughts, God says this, my thoughts are not your thoughts. And your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as heaven is higher than earth, so my ways, God says, are higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. God's ways, his thoughts, what he does, it's different. He'll do what is needed, but you and I, we may not always know what's needed. We may not always understand what is needed in a certain situation. I didn't understand why I needed to wait for adult swim. There's all kinds of things where we find ourselves in that same waiting place, not understanding what's needed. But in Christ, when we respond to the, the, the Messiah, the Savior who came to save sinners like you and I, what we have the opportunity to do is recognize God's ways are not our own, but, and, and realize that it's his timeline that we need to, to get on board with. He doesn't have to get on board with ours because in his loving wisdom, he will do what is needed. That's the way his timeline works. He's not, he's not just arbitrarily doing things. He's doing what is needed. And that may demand more of us than we wish, but it's important that we get on board with his timeline. And so what we do in response to that is repent, right? We need to repent, real, recognize. Maybe there's been things going on in this time, in this season, when you say, you know, I've been pretty demanding. I've been, I've been shaking my fist at God because he's not operating on my timeline. He's not doing things the way I want them to be done. And that's a reason for us to repent and recognize whether it's in our attitude or it's in specific actions that we're taking that, that he doesn't bow to our timeline. His timing, he will do what is needed. His ways are higher. And we need to recognize that. Another thing we need to recognize and another person's experience that we want to look at uh, is, is Simeon. Okay? What we need to recognize with Simeon is that in his timing, God will do what he has promised. Okay? He does what's needed, but he will also do what he has promised. Remember, Simeon says this, or it's, it's said about Simeon, that this man was righteous and devout. He was looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. So here's God giving him this promise, a, a promise that... It, he, he specifically is given, right? right? Simeon's given this incredible privilege. He's told, in, as he's walking in the Holy Spirit, the Spirit reveals to him, look, I'm going to give you this treat. I'm going to keep you alive. I'm going to keep you on this earth until you see that, that the Messiah is going to be here. This is just grace. This is just God's goodness and kindness in Simeon's life. 
And, and so we're told that Simeon's looking forward to Israel's consolation. The word consolation there is a, a word that uh, we, we should be familiar with. It's paraclesis. It's a word that means to encourage or come alongside. It's a word that is a big part of our mission statement, that we want to encourage people to discover true treasure in Jesus. We want to, and part of encouraging them is consoling them. It's coming alongside of them. It's helping them. What Simeon was doing was waiting for the consolation of Israel, the, the help, the coming alongside that would save them. So it's, it's a similar kind of thing that was mentioned to Mary, that there would be this Savior. He's looking for the Savior, and he's promised that he will see the Savior before his days on earth are over. And then he lays eyes on this baby. And listen to what he says. Listen again to what he says. He says, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace, as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You've prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. God came through. And Simeon is rejoicing that God has come through. He's done what he has promised. And this is who God is. See, Simeon was living out this truth we find in Proverbs 13, 12. A, a, a truth that we can all relate to. We're told there that hope delayed makes the heart sick. But desire fulfilled is a tree of life. How many of you have been in a situation where you were waiting for a long time for something that you had hoped for, something that you knew was good? Maybe it wasn't as strong a promise as Simeon had, but something that you knew in God's sight was good, and yet you weren't receiving it. You had hoped for it. You wanted it. And when that hope was being delayed, whether it was a spouse, whether it was a friend, whether it was a, an opportunity, whether it was a child, in, in the waiting, right? Your, your heart is sick. But when that desire, that good, God-given desire, God-honoring desire is fulfilled, man, it's like this new life is born. This, this, this tree of life, this, this vitality that swells up in us when we receive that thing we've been waiting for, and this is what we're seeing in Simeon. This hope had been delayed, and there's this waiting and this, this turmoil and this heart sickness that he's dealt with for all these years. But now the hope has been fulfilled. This promise has been fulfilled, and it's a tree of life. This thing is growing, welling up. And in fact, he says, look, my life is complete. I've seen what I needed to see, and now I get to, to see the future hope with God. And so for you and I, right, we have this charge and this opportunity when we are Christ followers and we've, we've allowed Christ to be the step up, not the stumbling step, to trust God's timeline when our hope has been delayed, when things aren't happening along the way that we want them to. We have to learn patience by willing, being willing to match God's pace. Understand if there are good things you're waiting for, things that he you, you know he, he loves, he thinks are good and valuable. You have to recognize God's pace is not my pace. Am I willing to be patient and match his pace? Right? Knowing he'll do what's needed and he'll do what's promised. See, we, we also have to understand, though, that while God's timeline is different than ours, he's also generous with us, right? So we may not be receiving that thing that we, we crave, that thing that we desire, the thing that we hope for, but that doesn't mean that God isn't doing kindly to us, doing good to us. 
And, and so in the same way, right, because we're, we're called to love God. That's what we read in 1 John 4, 9 through 11, that just as God loves us, we are to love others. That means that we can't deny or delay good to others and claim that we'll get around to it or, or demand that others be patient, right? We can't look and go, well, you know, God, he, he requires us to grow in patience, so I'm going to demand that you be patient. Yes, as parents, as, as just people, right, there are times where we, we have to delay things for others. Things, good things that we want to give to them. There, there are those times. But we also need to recognize, as we're told in Proverbs chapter 3, that there is a time when we have the ability to do good and we're called to do good, to not delay, to do, not deny the opportunity to do that good. Proverbs 3, 28. Don't say to your neighbor, go away, come back later, I'll give it tomorrow when it's there with you, right? Don't, don't, make, don't let the, this the way God operates, the, the fact that sometimes things don't happen just the way we want them to, on the timeline we wanna, want it to happen, to make us think, oh, then I have, the, I have permission when I can do good to just put somebody off and hope that somebody else will deal with it, right? Use that as an excuse. You can't do that. Again, there might be a reason to delay something for somebody. But in this case, and in many cases, we have the means to help somebody. And we don't know perfectly how everything works out, the way God does. His wisdom, His ways are higher than our ways. So when we know that we have an opportunity to serve and help somebody to do good for them, we need to do that. We need to do it quickly as we have opportunity to do it, when we have the chance. So do what you promised and do what you can. Don't unnecessarily frustrate people. If we understand, and this is the way we operate, if we understand that God will do not only what's needed, but He will do what he's promised in the same way we should do what we can and do what we promise. Let's look at a third person, right? We've, we've met her, Anna. Let's look at her story and see this third thing about God's timeline. And that's this, that in his timing, God will not only do what's needed, not only do what he's promised, but God will make up for what's been lost, right? Very often, that's part of the difficulty of waiting is we feel like we've lost something in the in-between. I want you to hear again about Anna. There was a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple, serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. Now, first thing is when it says she did not leave the temple, probably doesn't mean she slept there. It's a bit of hyperbole, but it's to make to paint the picture for us that this was her daily thing. This is what she did. So she probably didn't sleep there, but she was there day and night. She was there when the doors are open, okay? She was there serving and praising and worshiping God. This is how, what, what her life ha- was all about. Um, and she was freed up to do that. Now, second thing to notice here, we get some time, right? There's, there's a timeline given to us here. It says that she was married, she lived with her husband for seven years, and then 84 years later, here she was, still serving in God's temple. Now, the most likely scenario is she was roughly 14 years old when she got married. And then she lived with her husband for seven years, which means she was about 21 when her husband died. And now, for the next 84 years, she has served the Lord in the temple this way. Now, this wasn't what everybody did, but this is what this woman, what God had called this woman to do. And here she is, 105 years old. Right? And you think about what she's lost. She's lost a husband early on. And now, life has been very different. Now, is Anna at this point saying, man, life's been miserable? No. 
In fact, it says she's looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. But I want us to see in her life, just like in ours, if we follow Christ, that we can look forward even when we feel like we've lost something. Here's this amazing woman, Anna, who has served the Lord. She's 105 years old. She's going strong. She's looking forward. She's full of hope, waiting on the Lord, waiting on His timeline, learning to trust Him. And the same thing is, that it's the same thing we're called to do as well. And, and here we see Anna, but this is the kind of thing that Jesus told his followers to be about. I mean, he could have just as easily said, look, I want you to, you remember this, there's this woman, Anna. She, she was there when I was a baby. But if you want to know what it's like to follow me, look at Anna. Because here's what he says in Mark chapter 10, verses 29 to 31. He says, truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the gospel who will not receive a hundred times more now at this time houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields with persecutions and eternal life in the age to come. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Okay. Again, notice Anna in the world's eyes, she's just a nice, sweet old woman who's really hung up on this whole religion thing. In the kingdom of God, this one who would be last in the pecking order in most places, she'll be first. This, this amazing, admirable woman. And Jesus says, if you leave everything and you give things up, if you feel like, man, I've done nothing but, but lose out, miss out, and I'm just in this waiting game, he says, yeah, but I want you to understand what you give up now you're going to receive something far greater. Now, he, he's saying there will be great benefits even now. He, he, he's describing, I, I believe, he's describing really the church. He's saying you're going to leave behind certain relationships if you follow me because, again, I'm the stone of stumbling. Some are going to stumble over me. Others will get a step up. Right? While they're tripped up, these others are tripped up, you're going to step up into life of the kingdom and you're going to leave behind certain things, but you're going to inherit all these other things. And yet... It's not going to be everything that you would want quite yet because there will be persecutions. There will be suffering that will come from following Jesus. But in the age to come, everything will be made right. So you're not going to get ripped off. God will make everything right that needs to be made right. Anna was looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. God's going to make up. He's going to redeem. He's going to ransom. He's going to buy it back. He's going to give us everything that was lost, but he's going to return it and make it even better. He will make up for what's been lost. This is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. And he's saying to us, and this is what his disciples came to understand. Romans 8.18, Paul tells us, this is the disciple who, who learned what Jesus was all about. He says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time, those persecutions, those are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. He says, yes, I'm dealing with hardship, really difficult things. I'm in this waiting game and it hurts. I've given up. I've lost all kinds of things, but it has nothing. I've lost nothing in comparison to what God's going to do when he makes up for what's been lost, the glory that's going to be revealed. Right? This is not just, again, it's not with Anna, with Paul, with Jesus. This is not pie-in-the-sky religiosity. This is down in the dirt, walking with God, facing the difficulties and the challenges that we all face, and saying, my faith is going to move me forward. I'm going to be able to walk in love because of the love that God is showing me. 
and that there is a tension and there is a waiting, but it's going to be good in the end. It'll be worth it in the long run. And so we're told, uh, again by Paul, he, listen, I mean, this is, again, really practical stuff. He says, I know how, in Philippians 4, he says, I know how to make do with little. I, I know how to make do when I've lost stuff. And I know how to make do with a lot. I know how to make do when things are going really well. This is it. This is how. He says, in any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content. He says, this is how I handle it, is, is I've learned contentment. That means that whether well-fed, whether I, I'm, I'm doing well, or I'm hungry, I've lost something. Whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. What does he say? He says, I can handle whatever the situations, because I know that Jesus will give me the strength to handle it. I can be content because there's a, a greater glory coming and Christ in the, in the time here and now, while I wait that greater glory, Christ will strengthen me. He will give me the strength that I need. And so you and I, if we are going to follow Jesus, we learn to lean on God's strength, to be content with what we have. And to recognize that while we may be suffering loss, while we may be in this waiting time, wondering, when is this going to end? When can I get back in the pool and enjoy things the way I want to enjoy them? God's saying, you can handle it with my strength. And when things are made right, they're going to be better than ever. The pool will be clean. The parents will be happy. Everybody will get to enjoy this thing in a way unlike you've ever enjoyed it. That's the promise of God. We can endure now because he will make up for what's been lost. His timing and his timeline are good. See, again, here we are at Christmas, and this is a time to recognize the love of God, recognize his loving wisdom. I pray and hope that you'll do that. That this will be a time as you, as you get ready to open gifts and, and express love to family members and friends, however you're able to do that, whether it's on a Zoom call or, or in person or however that's happening. May we recognize that, again, this is not just about getting a bunch of stuff. This time is about the love of God coming into history. Hope happens in history. That's a time where God's loving wisdom has been shown Christ came into this world to save sinners like us, and we have every reason to celebrate and anticipate the day when he comes back. May our time together, may our time at Christmas not be tripped up because we fail to recognize the love of God in Jesus. Instead, may it be even better because Jesus gives us a step up into the kind of life and celebration that is truly worth living and celebrating. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day, for this time of worship, and for the truth of your word. We thank you for the love that you have shown us in your timing, on your timeline. Help us to recognize what we've looked at today, that in your timing, you will do what is needed. And in your timing, you will do what is, what is good, what is right. Um, and you will make up for what has been lost. We need your help, Lord. Guide us. Help us to respond 
to these things in the way we handle. Help us to match the, the pace that you set for us, to trust you, to lean on your strength, to turn back if we've been demanding or been doing things our own way. May you receive the honor and glory your due as we celebrate at Christmas time and every time. We thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We pray that you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at thegrovekc.com for more ways to connect with us. And join us again next week for another podcast from The Grove Church. Have a great day. Thank you.